0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Q4 2020 Akamai Technologies, Inc. Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participant lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Tom Barth, Head of Investor Relations. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining Akamai's fourth quarter and fiscal year 2020 earnings conference call. Speaking today will be Tom Layton, Akamai's Chief Executive Officer, and Ed McGowan, Akamai's Chief Financial Officer. Before we get started, please note that today's comments include forward-looking statements, including statements regarding revenue and earnings guidance. These forward-looking statements are subject to risk and uncertainties and involve a number of factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by such statements. The factors including stemming from the COVID-19 pandemic and any impact from unexpected geopolitical developments. Additional information concerning these factors is contained in optimized filings with the SEC, including our annual report on 10-K and quarterly reports on Form 10-Q. The forward-looking statements included in this call represent the company's view on February 9, 2021. Occamai disclaims any obligation to update these statements to reflect future events or circumstances. As a reminder, we'll be referring to some non-GAAP financial metrics during today's call. A detailed reconciliation of GAAP and non-GAAP metrics can be found under the financial portion of the Investor Relations section of Akamai.com. And with that, let me turn the call over to Tom. Thanks, Tom, and thank you all for joining us today. I'm pleased to report that Akamai
2: delivered excellent results for both the fourth quarter and the full year, in spite of the extraordinary challenges that we all faced in 2020. Q4 revenue was $846 million, up 10% over Q4 in 2019, and up 8% in constant currency. This strong result was driven by the continued rapid growth of our security business and continued high traffic levels on our intelligent edge platform. Non-GAAP operating margin in Q4 was 30%, up one point over Q4 in 2019, And Q4 non-GAAP EPS was $1.33 per diluted share, up 8% year-over-year and up 6% in constant currency. For the full year, we surpassed our expectations on both the top and bottom lines, setting new records for our business and positioning us well for the future. Full-year 2020 revenue was $3.2 billion, up 11% over the prior year in constant currency and topping the $3 billion mark for the first time in our history. We're especially pleased to report that we expanded non-GAAP operating margin to 31% in 2020, overachieving our target of 30%. This is up dramatically from 24% in 2017. I think it's worth noting that we achieved this expansion over the past three years while also investing for future growth. Non-GAAP EPS for 2020 was $5.22 per share, up 16% over 2019, and exceeding $5 per share for the first time. We also generated $1.2 billion in cash from operations last year, up 15% over 2019, and representing 38% of revenue. Our security portfolio continued to be the fastest growing part of our business in Q4 generating revenue of $296 million, up 23% year-over-year in constant currency. For the full year, security revenue exceeded $1 billion and grew 25% over 2019. This puts Akamai in Rare Company, as few firms generate more than a $1 billion in annual revenue from cybersecurity solutions, and fewer still grew at 25% last year. Security represented one-third of our revenue last year, which is up, 29%, up from 29% in 2019 and 24% in 2018. Bookings were especially strong for our prolexic service in Q4, as we helped dozens of major enterprises defend against a huge wave of ransom DDoS attacks that began in Q3. DDoS production has been a mainstay of our portfolio for years and has never been more relevant for customers. We also saw strong bookings for our Bot Manager solution.
0: Bot Manager
2: helps defend against credential abuse attacks, which were about four times greater in 2020 than the year before. 2020 was also a strong year for innovation, with the release of Page Integrity Manager and Secure Web Gateway. Bookings for both are off to an excellent start, as enterprises increasingly need to deal with malware and third-party software and applications and the addition of secure web gateway to our enterprise threat protector service better positions us to compete in the fast-growing enterprise security market. We were also pleased to close our acquisition of Ossavi in Q4, which helps advance our security capabilities for cellular devices and networks. New Ossavi customers signed after the integration include a national health agency, which adopted Ossavi to secure its COVID vaccination application, and Digital Promise, a nonprofit organization that works to close the digital learning gap for students through equitable access to technology our media and carrier division also delivered a strong fourth quarter as a result of continued high levels of traffic for ott video services and downloads of e-gaming software on november 10 traffic on the Akamai platform reached an all-time high of 181 terabits per second greater than the peak in 2019. Nobody in the marketplace comes anywhere close to our capacity to serve customers at the edge on a global scale. In fact, we already exceeded last year's traffic peak just last week. On the application performance side of the business, Q4 was a crucial quarter for e-commerce, with major buying events such as Black Friday and Singles Day. The unmatched reliability, scale, global reach, and security of our intelligent edge platform is a major reason why 40 of the world's top 50 retailers and 23 of the top 25 in the U.S. use Akamai to accelerate their commerce applications. Overall, we're very pleased with our performance last year on both the top and bottom lines, and I want to thank our employees for enabling Akamai to achieve such strong results as they coped with the challenges of the pandemic. As we look to the future, we see substantial opportunity for enterprises to increase their use of the Intelligent Edge platform. We believe the edge is where new applications and new business models will come to life, where intelligence will be built into how data is collected and analyzed, where the promise of 5G and IoT will be realized, and where security will provide the online world's first and most important of defense. To better take advantage of these opportunities and to better serve our customers, we announced today that we'll be realigning our organization around two major groups of products products that enable business online and products that protect business online. Both product groups will be supported with a single unified sales organization. Products that enable business online will be the focus of our new Edge Technology Group which will be led by Adam Karen as COO and general manager. This group will be responsible for our media delivery, web performance, and edge computing solutions, as well as the edge platform that underpins everything we do. These products generate about two-thirds of our total revenue today, with strong margins in cash generation to fuel our innovation firepower. The group's mission is twofold. First, to ensure that our Edge platform remains the unparalleled market leader for scale, performance, reliability, ease of use, agility, and cost. And second, to generate additional growth through the innovation of new products and services for emerging customer needs in areas such as IoT, 5G, and serverless computing. Products that protect business online will come together in a new security technology group to be led by Rick McConnell as President and General Manager. This new group will be responsible for all our security solutions, including our market-leading web security products, such as Kona Site Defender, Bot Manager, and Prolexic, our enterprise security products, such as Enterprise Application Access and Enterprise Threat Protector, and our carrier security products, such as our DNS-based secure business offering and our new secure mobile service from Ozavie. In 2021, we'll go to market with a unified global sales organization to better serve our customers, deepen our channel relationships, and provide our customers and partners with easier access to the full breadth of our portfolio. PJ Joseph, who previously led our sales for media and carrier, will lead global sales reporting to me. As part of the new alignment, Bobby Blumoff will become our chief technology officer to guide innovation and be an evangelist for our technology vision and leadership in the marketplace. Kim Salem Jackson, who has successfully led Akamai Field Marketing and Global Communications for the last three years, will become our new Chief Marketing Officer as part of a planned transition. Kim will succeed Monique Bonner, who has done a fabulous job in transforming our marketing organization over the last four and a half years. Mo will stay on with Akamai in his senior advisory role which will allow her to devote more time to her family while still ensuring the success of key marketing initiatives currently underway. You can read more about our organizational announcement in the press release issue today, and you'll be able to hear directly from our leadership team at our Investor Summit on February 25th, when we'll outline our strategy and plans to drive Akamai's next phase of growth. Akamai made amazing contributions to the world in 2020, but we believe the best is yet to come. Looking ahead, we have the potential to greatly expand our business and enterprise and carrier security as we strive to further grow our leadership position in web security. We plan to grow the capacity of our unparalleled intelligent edge platform by another order of magnitude as we continue to improve our market leading performance and reliability. We seek to bring innovative new services to market to support emerging IoT and serverless computing applications. We want to help enable the world take advantage of the incredible potential of 5G, and we'll continue our efforts to build value for our shareholders with our world-class talent, technology leadership, strong profitability, and cash generation to fuel our future growth. Now I'll turn the call over to Ed to provide further details on our 2020 results and the outlook for 2021. Ed?
3: Thank you, Tom. As Tom outlined, Akamai delivered another excellent quarter in Q4. We were very pleased to exceed the high end of our guidance range on revenue and earnings. Q4 revenue was $846 million, up 10% year-over-year or 8% in constant currency driven by another quarter of very strong security growth, higher-than-expected gaming traffic in the weaker U.S. dollar. Revenue from our web division was $438 million, up 5% year-over-year or 4% in constant currency. Revenue growth for this group of customers was, again, led by our security business. And while we saw stronger-than-expected seasonal traffic growth from some of our retail and commerce customers, Other customers in this vertical and in our travel and hospitality vertical continued to be negatively impacted by the pandemic. Revenue from our median carrier division was $408 million, up 15% year over year or 14% in constant currency. As noted, we benefited from higher than expected gaming and video traffic along with continued momentum in security. Revenue from the Internet platform customers was $58 million, up 11% from the prior year and above our expectations due to higher-than-expected traffic. Security revenue for the fourth quarter was $296 million, up 24% year-over-year and 23% in constant currency. Driven by continued global demand across our web security product portfolio and higher-than-expected revenue from our recently closed, Asavi acquisition. Asavi contributed approximately $8 million in Q4, driven by a combination of much better than expected strength in the educational vertical and a faster than expected revenue ramp from a recently added carrier in the U.S. Foreign exchange fluctuations had a positive impact on revenue of $6 million on a sequential basis and positive $9 million on a year-over-year basis. International revenue was $379 million, up 16% year-over-year, or 13% in cost and currency. Sales in our international markets represented 45% of total revenue in Q4, up three points from Q4 2019 and consistent with Q3 levels. Finally, revenue from our U.S. market was $467 million, up 5% year-over-year. Moving now to costs. Cash gross margin was 76%, in line with our expectations. Gap gross margin, which includes both depreciation and stock-based compensation, was 64%. Non-gap cash operating expenses were $280 million, slightly above our guidance, in part due to higher sales commissions, given the revenue well performance we saw in Q4. Moving on to profitability, adjusted EBITDA was $364 million, up $45 million, or 14% from the same period in 2019. Our adjusted EBITDA margin was 43%, up two points from Q4 2019. Non-GAAP operating income was $256 million, up $34 million, or 15% in the same period last year. Non-GAAP operating margin came in at 30%, up one point from last year and in line with our guidance. Capital expenditures in Q4, excluding equity compensation and capitalized interest expense, were $195 million. Gap net income for the fourth quarter was $113 million, or 68 cents cents of earnings per diluted share. It is worth noting that our Q4 gap results include two one-time items, a $27 million restructuring charge primarily related to the company realignment that Tom mentioned, and a $20 million additional endowment to the Akamai Foundation. Non-GAAP net income was $220 million, or $1.33 of earnings per diluted share, up 8% year-over-year, up 6% in constant currency, and one cent above the high end of our guidance range due to higher-than-expected revenues. Taxes included in our non-GAAP earnings were $39 million, based on a Q4, effective tax rate of approximately 15%. Now I will discuss some balance sheet items. As of December 31st, our cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities totaled approximately $2.5 billion. After accounting for the $2.3 billion of combined principal amounts of our two convertible notes, net cash was approximately $197 million as of December 31st. Now I'll review our use of capital. During the fourth quarter, we spent $73 million to repurchase shares, buying back approximately 700,000 shares. We ended q Q4 with approximately $572 million remaining on our previously announced share repurchase authorization. Our long-term plan remains to leverage our share buyback program to offset dilution resulting from
0: equity compensation over time. I'm very proud of all of our employees. that the pandemic-related impacts
3: to areas like work from home and travel will last at least for the first half of 2021. As a result, we expect to see continued challenges in our retail and travel verticals. From a traffic perspective, as life returns to a more normalized pre-pandemic state, we do not expect to see our traffic on our platform decrease. We believe the pandemic has accelerated consumer usage of the internet in areas like OTT video, gaming, and e-commerce. And we believe this usage pattern will likely persist going forward. However, we expect to see traffic continue to grow in 2021, but at a rate more in line with pre-2020 historical levels. In addition to revenue, there's some other items we expect in 2021 that are worth calling out. First, in 2020, our travel and related expenses were much lower than normal. Our guidance assumes that these expenses begin to return to a more normalized level beginning in the second half of 2021. Second, in light of the recent decline in interest rates, we expect our interest income to decline on a year-over-year basis. Specifically, we expect interest income to be about $8 million lower year-over-year, which will have a negative impact of about $0.05 cents on our non-GAAP earnings per share compared with 2020. Third, I wanted to remind you of the typical seasonality that we experience on the top and bottom lines. In the first quarter, we usually see a revenue step down sequentially from Q4, our strong seasonal quarter. Also in Q1, remember that our employee payroll taxes and 401k matching programs reset. These costs will decline throughout the year as employees begin to max out. Finally, as Tom mentioned earlier, we are reorganizing the company around a product-driven group structure and moving away from the current vertically aligned division structure. In Q1, we will report revenue results under the new edge technology and security technology groups as Tom outlined. The revenue splits will look familiar to you as they align to our current CDN and other and cloud security revenue reporting that we have historically provided. To assist with the transition, we will continue to report web, and Media and Carrier Division results on our website for the balance of 2021. And finally, as a result of the reorganization, we expect to record an additional restructuring charge of approximately $7 million in Q1. Looking ahead to full year, we expect revenue of $3.37 to $3.42 billion, which is up 4 to 6% year-over-year in constant currency. This outlook assumes that foreign exchange contributes about $45 million on a year-over-year basis. We expect security revenue growth in a range of 18 to 20% over 2020 levels. We also expect non-GAAP operating margin of approximately 30%. We expect non-GAAP earnings per diluted share of $5.33 to $5.46. And this non-GAAP earnings guidance is based on a non-GAAP effective tax rate of approximately 15% and a fully diluted share count of approximately 165 million shares. And finally, full-year CapEx is expected to be approximately 16% of revenue. This is down seven points year over year as we expect to leverage the significant network capacity investment we made in 2019 and 2020. Moving on to Q1 guidance, we are projecting Q1 revenue in the range of 822 to $836 million. We're up 5 to 7 percent in costs and currency over Q1 2020. To have a positive $4 million impact on Q1 revenue compared to Q4 levels, and a positive $16 million impact year over year. At these revenue levels, we expect cash gross margins of approximately 76%. Q1 non gaap operating expenses are projected to be $265 to $270 million. We anticipate Q1 EBITDA margins of approximately 44%. And now moving on to depreciation. We expect non-GAAP depreciation expense to be between $111 to $112 million. Factoring in this guidance, we expect non-GAAP operating margin of approximately 30% for Q1. Moving on to CapEx, we expect to spend approximately $150 to $155 million, excluding equity compensation in the first quarter. And with the overall revenue and spend configuration I just outlined, we expect Q1 non-GAAP EPS in a range of $1.28 to $1.31. This EPS guidance assumes taxes of approximately $37 to $38 million based on an estimated quarterly non-GAAP tax rate of approximately 15%. It also reflects a fully diluted share count of approximately 165 million shares. In summary, as you heard Tom highlight, we achieved several significant milestones in 2020, including delivering 11% top-line revenue growth with total revenue exceeding $3 billion for the first time in company history, growing security revenue 25% and surpassing $1 billion, exceeding our 30% operating margin target and generating non-GAAP EPS of more than $5 a share. We are very pleased with our performance in 2020, and we believe we're well positioned for 2021. We look forward to providing you a deeper look into our business and our plans for the future at our upcoming Investor Summit on February 25th. Thank you. Tom and I would be happy to take your questions. Operator?
0: As a reminder to ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Sterling Audie from J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open.
3: Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. So I guess, you know, the the big item that crosses my mind is the comment that you're expecting traffic to continue to grow, not really fall off, but at pre-pandemic levels. And given that security is now a bigger part of the mix, I'm kind of curious why the level of deceleration that's factored into the guidance for 2021. Hey, Stone, so is is um So I think there's a couple things you need to, to think about there. So, obviously, 2020 was a, an unusually high traffic year for us. And, and the point I was trying to make there is that we're not seeing that decline, uh, but what we're expecting going into this year is what, what I'd call more, more normal traffic year. So you start to get into some tougher compares as you get into Q2. And uh, in, in throughout the rest of the year, and you still have the normal uh, dynamics in the in the media business. Most of the traffic is, is coming from media, obviously, so there'll be a series of renewals and that sort of thing, which is, is pretty normal and then the second thing that we called out is that um, we are starting to see a bit more pressure in travel and hospitality and retail. Uh, you know the first wave was customers coming to us asking us for extended payment terms, some credits or some help in a, within a quarter. Now we're getting into, uh, you know, a renewal cycle, so we're expecting to see some pressure uh, from that area. And keep in mind, that's about uh, 20% of our total business, about 40% of our web uh, division, our prior web division business. So that's going to have a little bit of an impact on us as well. That that makes a lot of sense. And then, Tom, maybe one for you. The structural changes that that you're making to the business, what's the motivation of, of doing that now? Well, I I
2: think the time has come to bring all of our security teams together. Uh, When we created the current structure five years ago, we didn't really have a security business to speak of, a few million dollars. Now it's over a billion dollars, and we had, uh, you know, the products there were split among three different groups, Uh, the web security group, which is most of it, enterprise security, which we've talked a lot about, and carrier security, which is very closely tied to enterprise. And uh, enterprise and carrier are getting to a real scale now, Uh, that we can bring them out of uh, incubation and and bring all of our security teams together um, in a division that just focuses on security. Uh, And I I think that will provide even, you know, stronger growth going forward. Uh, Also, unifying sales makes sense now. Uh, You know, before we had uh, a media sales force that uh, was selling to customers who were buying media products. We had a web sales force selling to verticals that were buying web products. So splitting made sense then, but now all of our customers buy security. In fact, uh, some of the big media customers are our biggest buyers of security products. And so I think it makes sense to bring the field force together, uh, and it's more efficient. Uh, So I I think the end result is that we will operate more efficiently. Uh, We'll have stronger innovation, and continued very strong growth in our security uh, product group. And uh, and also on the CDN side of the house, as Ed talked about, we've got some, uh, you know, tailwinds there, also some challenges in the commerce and travel vertical. Uh, but I think very interesting future growth with areas like IoT, 5G, and serverless computing. And bringing those teams together, I think, again, will enable us to be more efficient
3: moving forward. Great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open.
3: Excellent. Thank you, guys, for, for taking the question. I wanted to dig into the restructuring a, a little bit as well. Um,
2: so the restructuring charge, does, does that imply that there were some uh, headcount reductions associated with this? Um, and given that sort of the operating margins stay relatively stable for for the full year, maybe down a little bit, uh, it seems like you're hiring to offset that. So if you could talk us kind of through kind of where are you taking sort of investment away and where are you adding investment, that, that that would be helpful. And then the second part of the question, from like a go-to-market or from a customer-facing
3: perspective, what are the customers going to see differently here? Is, are, are, are the salespeople going to go in with like a bigger tool set or like what changes from that dynamic? Yeah, sure, Keith, this is Ed, I'll take the first part. So, yeah, we had about a 2% reduction in heads, and most of that was due to uh, overlap primarily in the go-to-market area. Um, and obviously, we had two leaders in different regions and things like that. Um, in terms of investments, you know, we added uh, over 500 heads this, this year, investing in security, R&D, uh, as a percentage has gone. Uh, so I think we've done a really good job of, of cutting costs and scaling, but it, it being back in back in the, uh, in the business, uh, so this really wasn't about the cost savings initiative. It was more about better efficiency and touch alignment. Um, so we're keeping margins in that 30% investing a bit in the business uh, moving forward as well. Uh, and as we've said in the past, we think 30% is a pretty good uh, place to be, be running the business.
2: Yeah, and in terms of, you know, the areas we're investing in more, uh, because we are, and net headcount went up quite a bit last year and will grow again this year, uh, despite the current reduction taking place. Uh, we're investing in innovation, new products, particularly in the security area. Uh, also in our platform, uh, making it more of a programmable platform for our customers uh, with projects such as edge workers uh, and making it easier for customers to just, you know, deploy their code straight on to Akamai. Uh, you know, the, in terms of what the customer sees, they're going to see the same rep they saw before, by and large. When we had split the sales force before, it was by vertical. And so when we bring it together, it doesn't mean that there's a account breakage per se or that you're going to have a different rep. Now, that said, uh, it will be a more efficient uh, management structure. Uh, we'll have a deeper focus on channels. that's especially important for our growing security products, particularly in the enterprise and, and carrier security products. Uh, and it'll be easier, I think, for a rep to sell everything uh, than maybe it was before. Now, I think reps were, for example, in media, as I mentioned, selling security products, and uh, they were versed in the whole product set, uh, but I I think that becomes
0: even easier now.
4: Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of James Fish from Piper Sandler. Your line is now open.
4: Hey, guys, thanks for the question. Uh, I want to pick on a couple of uh, questions that were already asked and get into it in greater detail. So maybe first, um, the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a little bit tougher pricing on the media delivery side. I mean, what can you say about some of the larger renewals that place in the back half of, of 20, as well as that, that take place in the first half of 21, especially on the streaming side and some of those new streaming services?
3: Yeah, sure. So I would say, um, in terms of pricing, um, there's in the media side, I'm not seeing anything unusual. this, you know one or two accounts where we've had some competitors get a little bit more aggressive than than normal. But as far as 21 goes, um, from a from a media's perspective, not a ton of renewals, nothing worth calling out. That's outside the norm. You know, in the past, I've I've mentioned when we've had. Uh, items that I thought was worth calling out. I don't see anything here. You know, our average contract lengths are between one and two years, so you'll always have a mix. I would say for the ones that uh, occurred in Q4 in the back half of the year, came in where we expected, Uh, so no no real surprises there.
4: And then, you know, obviously a few weeks ago, you announced that updated channel partnership specifically on, on the security side, and now today you're talking about this unified sales organization. Can you guys give us a little bit more color as to, you know, how much the business, especially on security, is actually coming from the channel already? And then additionally, how does the greater investment uh, around channel impact the PL and versus the consolidation of this sales structure?
3: Yeah, so right now about a third business in total goes through the channel. Um, in terms of, you know, breaking it down a little bit further, if you think about the – Uh, For example, Asavi, 100% of that goes through the channel. Uh, We believe the enterprise business, more and more of that's going to go through the channel. As far as the split goes uh, between security and content delivery, they'd be a bit more on the content delivery side just because we've been in the business a lot longer. It's a bigger uh, percentage of our revenue. But the way to think about it is as we move forward, uh, especially in enterprise, channels can be a much bigger part of our go-to-market strategy.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of James Breen from William Blair. Your line is now open.
2: Uh, thanks for taking the question. Uh, just first, Fred, I th- think you said that even that margins
1: in the first quarter guide were around 44%, but you also talked about some of the payroll expenses and some of the expenses of the year end being higher in the first quarter. Um, if that's the case, you know, where are you seeing better margins to sort of offset some of those increased expenses? And then um, secondly, I think, Tom, you talked about some of your media customers taking more security products can you just talk
2: about your total customer base and and you know what you're seeing in terms of customers taking multiple products from you guys across the base thanks
3: yeah so the yeah the EBITDA margin was 44% i think just in general we've done a good job of scaling our back office and getting leverage out of uh, most of our GNA functions plus we're doing you know all all the stuff we do on the uh, the server side making our servers more efficient, et cetera. Um, so I just called that out because Q1, we typically have, you know, besting of stock, bonus payouts, et cetera. So we do tend to see a bit of an uptick in our, in our operating expenses. But also, it's you, you had a very high quarter in Q4 from a commissions perspective. So that sort of normalizes out. So the two kind of offset each other. But as you kind of think about your modeling, Q1 tends to be a bit on OPEX side uh, as, as you go forward. And then obviously Q4, if we're having a good year, tends to be a high quarter as well as we. Uh, get into accelerators from the commission side.
2: Yeah, and in terms of uh, media customers buying security, you know, our media customers are the biggest brands out there, and uh, they very much need their content stay secure, uh, you know, and not have sites to face. They're worried about accounts being taken over, uh, that uh, media accounts, gaming accounts uh, from the uh, account hijackers, and that's where our bot management and account protection capabilities are very important. Uh, and since these are such large enterprises, they tend to be very large security customers. When we get together on the 25th, uh, we'll give a, a really a much deeper breakdown into our various security products, how we think about them, their, <clears throat> their growth rates, and you know what we're projecting over the next several years in terms of growth. We'll also give you updated counts on. How many buy, how many security products? Great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tim Horan from Oppenheimer. Your line is now open.
1: Thanks, guys. Can you give us a sense of uh, last year? Um, how much were volumes on the, the different businesses above trend, you know, do you estimate? I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, you know, any color on on that would be helpful.
3: Yeah, sure. So on the tra- on the traffic side, I would say last year was probably above double what we normally see from a from a traffic growth perspective. Um, and then as far as you know, other volumes, uh, obviously the you know our bookings were pretty much in line with what we expected. Um, and you know, outside of the traffic, there was really nothing that was uh, unusual or worth calling out. You know, maybe and one
2: which- thing is like the attack traffic, the the bad guys out there their volumes were way up across the board. Uh, you know, malicious login attempts, attempts to embed malware, uh, those kind of things, DDoS attacks, you know, huge increases really across the board last year. Um, and so that, of course, uh, makes a big difference for Akamai to be able to help our customers because we're unique in being able to stop the largest denial-of-service attacks and being able to stop the uh, account hijacking attacks.
1: And uh, did um, term and buying or didn't? Sorry, did, did buying price discounts kick in as a result of buying
3: being so strong? Well, it depends on the on the contract. A lot of our big media companies do have uh, tiered pricing, uh, so that would that would have kicked in. Um, but again, nothing unusual other than the fact that just traffic was just much higher than we had expected. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Colby Financial from Cowan. Your line is now open. Great, okay, thank you. Um,
5: two questions. One is uh, we're getting a lot of questions just in terms of what the company is likely to guide to uh, at the upcoming analyst day. Uh, obviously, not asking for the, for the numbers themselves, but what what are from a financial perspective, uh, you know, your intentions in terms of what you're going to provide uh, at the analyst day, and then secondly. Uh, as it relates to your guidance for 2021, uh, your security growth of 18 to 20%, 20%, you know, I think it's you know it's below. That, I think what uh, had been you know, message more of a goal for plus 20%. Is there anything to kind of flag there? Is that just typical conservatism? Is this simply the law of large numbers as you now reach that billion dollars? Or do you think that there's an opportunity to kind of accelerate that or reaccelerate that uh, growth again? Thank you. Yes, yeah, so I'll,
3: I'll take the second part first. So. Okay it is a bit of the law of large numbers i guess we're getting much bigger we do have a lot of newer products that are ramping fast but it just takes a while in a recurring revenue business you know i think if you go back and in the past we've talked about you know last year getting to a billion we exceeded that the year before that mid-20s we did high 20s uh, so you know there's always always a possibility um it's overachieve, but i think that's you know, a, a reasonable uh a reasonable guide um The other question was on the intentions of what we're going to talk about at the uh, Analyst Day. As far as 2021 guidance, that's only in two weeks, so, you know, I'm not going to see anything different that I I haven't seen yet, so I don't anticipate updating guidance uh, from what we've just talked about now. But what we will do is get into a lot more detail. You'll hear from all the leaders talking about what's the the different groups and what they're going to be working on. Some of the growth dynamics will be exposing a lot more about what's going on within the security buckets, uh, we'll be showing you different um, growth rates and different products. So I think there's a lot of good information that will come out of it. Uh, but in terms of updating guidance, there won't be any in
5: that. That's just given that it's two weeks from today. So, there no, uh, you know, I think, you know, if I go back to your analyst day, I think it might have been in 2018. There was talk about that 30% operating margin. Uh, no expectation to give a, a new bogey, if you will, for, uh, for a few years out from there.
3: Nope. No, we're not going to give a a new bogey for a new operating margin. What I will do is talk about the dynamics of the different business and how over time you can see margins expand if if we get to be a greater greater percentage of our business comes from
5: security. Great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brad Zelnick from Credit Suisse. Your line is now open.
2: Great. Thanks so much for taking the questions. Ed, there's been so, so much pent-up demand on the gaming side, and, and it seems like gaming was a strong contributor again this quarter. How should we think about the impact the gaming vertical might have in, in 2021 versus maybe
3: other console launches in the past? Yeah, you, you're right. It was a very strong quarter for gaming. You know, and, and for us, again, just as a reminder, we we work with the publishers as well as the, the major platforms. So, uh, you know, the upside coming from from a variety of different uh uh, customers. Uh, you know, I, it's, we're seeing more uh, interest in gaming. The, the console releases dro- drove a lot upside in the quarter. Uh, you know, it's always hard to predict um, what games are going to be popular, and there is a bit of seasonality in gaming with, depending on a quarter that has many releases versus one that may not have as many. Uh, but it's a, it's a very fast-growing vertical for us, and uh, we expect that with these new consoles, there should be some continued demand throughout the year.
2: Great. That's very helpful. And maybe just a follow up on a, on a different topic, Ed, as we think about the zero overage plans you put in place within the web division and the strong e-commerce holiday season, what might the impact have been? And, and, and is this a model which you might expect to be more pervasive throughout your customer
3: base as we move into 2021 and beyond? Yeah, good question. So as you know, we introduced this uh, probably about 20 months ago as at the supper of our customer conference back in, I think it was June of 19. And we have gotten a lot of traction, mostly in retail. That's where we're seeing um, most of the requests for, for that type of structure. Where right now we've got over half of our customers in, in the commerce vertical are adopting that structure. And it makes a lot of sense. It's actually a good strategy when you're faced with a customer base that's got some macroeconomic challenges when they're looking at ways of getting, either saving money or getting more predictable spend. So. Uh, it's been well received by the customer base. I would imagine that would continue to tick up. It's not. It's not for everyone. Um, and like that, like I said, we've seen the primary adopter of that is in the uh, the retail space. Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Willpower from Baird. Your line is now open.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for taking the question. Uh, Maybe just to come back uh, to security, I'd love to try to get a little more color on page integrity. I know you've been seeing strong trends there for a while. Is that on path to be a $100 million product and anything else you can share there? And I guess the second
4: piece that ties into that, just would love to get an update on what you're seeing in terms of revenue, bookings, et cetera, for some of the the enterprise products.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll take those. Uh, Page integrity manager is off to a great start. Uh, you know, we had uh, really uh, very good bookings. Uh, now, of course, it just got launched, you know, middle of last year, so it'll take time to grow into a hundred million dollar business. But uh, that's very exciting, uh, you know, for us. And uh, you know, in terms of bookings for the enterprise business, again, very strong. And uh, as you know, we've been looking forward to getting our enterprise and carrier security products to the point where they're hundred million dollar revenue. And, uh, you know, we we think that uh, we can do that this year, at least get on that run rate, uh, so that combined with the enterprise and carrier security, now that we have AZAV on board. And we're going to talk a lot more about that at the uh, upcoming Analyst Day. Are there any particular areas within the enterprise component where you're seeing particular strength? Uh, It's across the board. uh, Enterprise application access, really important because of all the malicious login attempts. Enterprise threat protector. It, you know, with uh, solar winds, becomes more important than ever to know uh, what uh, employee devices and uh, enterprise devices are talking to. Are they trying to contact command and control uh, outside the enterprise? Uh, that's something that we can help catch and stop. Uh, you know, Ozavi has done incredibly well, uh, you know, much better than we'd expected uh, post-acquisition. And, uh, you know, for example, things like uh, students that need to gain access for remote learning uh, to protect them to make sure that their environment is secure. Uh, you know, there's a, been a lot of development, of course, with carriers there. They sell this product, uh, and we're behind the scenes, but a very strong pickup there to secure the enterprise cellular networks. Uh, and then you think about IoT in the future, all those devices have to be secured and probably all going to be connected with 5G. So I think a lot of potential upside there. And our secure business solution that's uh, resold by major carriers under their brand for small and media business, medium business, uh, again, doing very well. So I would say across the board with the enterprise and, and carrier products, uh, very strong growth, and uh, we might have a good chance of doubling uh, revenue this year and reaching $100 million.
4: Okay, great. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jeff Van Rieke from Craig Hallam. Your line is now open.
3: Great. Thanks. Uh,
1: two for me. Um, Tom, just in terms of the restructuring, I'm, I'm just curious sort of the, the, the thought process or, or the history of the thought process there. How long has it been percolating? And if there were, as you think about it, kind of one or two key triggers that really made this the time. And then secondly, very high level, when you look at the 11 percent annual growth, had a lot of puts and takes as it relates to COVID. To the extent you can dial it in, what do you think growth would have been ex-COVID impacts? So obviously, pro and con, but any color there.
2: Uh, Yeah, we've been thinking about uh, a reorg along these lines for really an extended period. It's something, you know, the senior management team would discuss, at least on an annual basis. And, uh, you know, in terms of the trigger now, our security business has reached a billion dollars, you know, and that's an important milestone. We're, you know, also seeing really strong growth for the enterprise and carrier security products, as I mentioned. And, you know, they were both uh, in incubation phase and in different parts of the company. We had the enterprise group, uh, had the enterprise security products, and for the carrier products, that was on the media and carrier division. And, of course, most of security revenue was in the web division. And, uh, you know, increasingly as the, the smaller uh, product areas grew, you start to have overlap. For example, anybody that buys Asabi, we want to sell them Kona Site Defender. It makes perfect sense. Same thing for enterprise security. If you buy EAA, you want Kona. Uh, and so I think it really makes sense now. They've reached critical mass to bring them together into one team focused on security. And as I mentioned, you know, with the sales organization, something we have thought about over the last couple of years, uh, you know, certainly more efficient to have a single sales organization. And the advantage of having them be split had disappeared really once all our customers are buying really all our products, but certainly security. Uh, so, you know, again, the time is is right to do it. And, uh, you know, you don't like doing something in the middle of the pandemic, but uh, at the same time you can't wait. Uh, you know, at Akamai we always have a sense of urgency. We want to get this done because I think it will help our growth going forward. Now, in terms of 11%, we're very pleased to see that this year. Uh, You know, we definitely got some tailwinds for overall traffic levels, and uh, so the media and carrier division did well. We also deployed a ton of capacity for, as Ed mentioned, increased growth this year and next year, just the rate of growth uh, probably less this year and next year, more like normal traffic increases, as opposed to uh, twice that that we experienced this year. I think we got hurt, uh, you know, in revenue in our web performance products, as Ed talked about, You know, a big part of their revenue comes from uh, commerce, which has gotten most commerce companies have really been pounded with COVID. You know, there's a few big names that have done very well, probably picked up business. Uh, The amount of commerce going online has increased dramatically, but when the parent company is hurting, uh, that creates a more difficult environment to, you know, negotiate a contract. And in many cases, as we've talked about, you know, we, we, you know, work with the customer to give them some relief, um, and on pricing as well. We've gone to zero overage so they can plan better. And that hurt, you know, I think revenue with this past Q4. We don't get a lot of bursting. Uh, on the other hand, it preserves that business more for us long term. And we're in this for the long haul. And it means we aren't going to share that business with, you know, the many competitors out there would like to have just a tiny piece of, you know, our commerce business. And so, you know, it seems a little paradoxical that, on the one hand, it probably hurt us on revenue. On the other, as we talked about, you know, we serve 40 of the global 50 leaders in commerce and retail and 23 of 25 in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we're, we're working very hard to, you know, maintain that business over the long term and grow it, particularly with our security products. Okay. Got it. Thanks, Tom.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes in the line of Brandon Nisville from KeyBank Capital. Your line is now open. Great. Thank
4: you. Um, two questions for Ed. Ed, could you provide the contribution from acquired businesses included in the revenue outlook for 2021, I think in particular around
2: Asavi and, and then Inverse? And then secondly, how should we think about IPC revenue comp-
3: contribution in 2021 versus 2020? Thanks. Yeah, sure. So, um, as far as inverse goes, there's really no revenue. That was a very small company. Um, it was more of a tech tuck in, similar, uh, others that we've done in the past. So the, no real contribution from that directly. You know, as we integrate it, it'll help accelerate some of our other products. Positive, probably about 30 million incremental. If you look kind of year over year, we had about eight this quarter. So somewhere in that range. Um, so call, call it a little less than a point. And then as far as the uh, internet platform customers, I got to get a uh, tip my cap to the, uh, team that's been working on those. They've done a fantastic job, uh, you know, not only maintaining that business, but growing it. Uh, You know, I haven't provided specific guidance, but I'd expect kind of a similar year where you're kind of, you know, maintain where you're at and maybe a little upside. Q4 was particularly strong, so maybe it's in that $50 million range, plus or minus, uh, you know, a few million bucks, depending on what's going on in a particular quarter.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Rishi Jaluria from DA Davidson. Your line is now open.
6: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking my questions, and, and nice to see continued strong execution. Um, I w- wanted to go back to, to an earlier comment that was made uh, with, with reference to the SolarWinds breach. I uh, wanted to get a sense, what what are you seeing out there in terms of, of any changes in, in demand or pipeline or inbound interest as a result of that breach, uh, especially given – you know, your, your your kind of leadership in, in, in the zero-trust area that's becoming increasingly important for CISOs. And then I've got a follow-up.
2: Yeah, obviously, it, it illustrates the importance of zero-trust. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it was obviously a devastating attack. Uh, and, you know, it highlights the need for, you know, products, for example, like our Enterprise Threat Protector. Uh, you know, it's one thing to try to stop the malware from getting inside. That's, that's hard. You look at an example like this. Uh, but once it's inside, it has to go out and contact command and control. And that's something that you can pick up and detect and block in many cases and then alert uh, the CISO that they got a problem. And, you know, that's what our enterprise threat protector product is meant to do and has done in many, many uh, cases. Uh, So I think in the long run, it it just heightens the need for products that uh, we provide and the need for zero trust in general. You know, stepping up a level, you know, with third-party malware showing up everywhere, that's the same problem you have with page integrity and why our page integrity manager service, you know, is so important. Because today, so many websites link to third parties or use third-party or open-source code that has malware. And what that means is, when a, a client or one of their users goes to their website or uses their app, the client gets infected, and their personal information's exposed. And it's just another example of a third-party malware that's become infected that the enterprise is using. Uh, you know, a different, different particular use case. One's the website; the other is internal enterprise apps. Same problem and same devastating result, and, you know, Akamai has solutions to help stop that.
6: Got it. That's, that's helpful. Uh, and then I wanted to go back to, to the reorg. Uh, look, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, why, why you're doing the reorg. Um, maybe philosophically, want to understand what, what steps are you taking, or, or how are you thinking about you know, avoiding disruption? Because in enterprise software, every time there's a reorg, there's always a worry of it's going to disrupt the business, especially when you're running on such a hot hand like you are right now, and, you know, you've done reorgs in the past. So, so maybe kind of a thought process on, on just how to avoid that from, from really disrupting your business would be helpful. Thanks.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's something we put a lot of time and effort into. You know, this is the kind of thing we would plan for really for six months. Uh, and it's important to, to know we're, we're doing it from a position of strength. I think the last thing you want to do is a reorg when you're in a position of weakness, because that's where you can get the disruption and the problems. And as you can see, you know, uh, we're as strong as we've ever been. And so I think that is a good time uh, to do a reorg. You know, as we mentioned before, I don't see a lot of account disruption, a lot of account breakage. Uh, You do worry whenever you change, you know, the go-to-market operation, that you could have some disruption that way. I don't think that's likely here. Uh, because, as we mentioned, a lot of the accounts have the same person they had before that they're dealing with. So I I don't think that'll be a problem for us. And uh, and as you mentioned, we do have experience at uh, doing this, and uh, we have, you know, great employees, uh, you know, and I would say morale in the company is very high, and, uh, you know, so I don't anticipate, you know, serious disruption to the business here. All right.
6: Wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Robert Majek from Raymond James. Your line is now open.
2: Uh, Great, thanks. I think investors appreciate the sales synergies between your web performance offerings and your cloud security offerings, and the the Salesforce consolidation there makes perfect sense, but would be great to get your thoughts on whether or not uh, it still makes sense to build a dedicated Salesforce to help accelerate uh, your enterprise security adoption. Yeah, we do have a sales specialist uh, already, and that is being maintained with the, with the new organization. So there'll be no change there in terms of the specialist for uh, not only the enterprise security products, but the carrier security products, which are very close. Uh, also, Prolexic has sales specialists there. Uh, so that won't change. Great, thanks. And one more,
4: if I can, just building on Brad's questions, the earlier uh, CDN growth rate decelerated four points uh, from last quarter. So just wondering what we should make of that dynamic. We know that overall
2: traffic, especially around gaming, was strong, uh, but perhaps it was offset by an introduction of zero overage, uh fixed fee pricing. So any additional clarification there would be helpful as we think
4: about CDN growth rate going forward?
3: Yeah, I think you you you. Pretty much nil. I just just remember last Q4 was a, was an exceptionally strong quarter uh, from a traffic growth perspective. So you've got a, a bit of a tougher compare. And like I said earlier, you know, uh, starting in Q2 when we saw the big ramp in traffic, uh, you're going to start to see a little bit tougher compare on the media side, and then the dynamic that we've talked about uh, really over the last couple of quarters on uh, the retail and commerce vertical. You know, make it a bit more of a challenging year from a CDN perspective, but. Uh, we, we still think we're in a in, in great position, and we've got some really good tailwinds going on. We were just talking about gaming a minute ago. OTT Video is also growing very strongly. So there's a lot of puts and takes in there, but, um, you know, in general, I think that's uh, kind of the, the key driver is just a bit of a tougher compare and then that challenge with retail and uh, travel.
1: Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, this is Tom Barth. We want, to thank, we want to thank everyone. In closing, as Tom and Ed mentioned, we would look forward to you joining us virtually for our Investor Relations Summit on February 25th. Additionally, we will be presenting at several investor conferences and events throughout the rest of the quarter. Details of these can be found on the Investor Relations section of Akamai.com. Thank you for joining us, and all of us here at Akamai wish continued good health to you and yours, and have a wonderful evening.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.